This episode of Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. We all need things from time to time. A friendly hand, the smile from a stranger, eight channels of free-running LFOs in Eurorack. Yes, friends, we all need things from time to time. So for all your thingies, consider Signal Sounds. They have beautiful and strange modules from fellow Scots, Instro, who are releasing the almost unpronounceable Luba and Abba, which are granular and tape-based processing modules for Eurorack and are amazing. Amazing! Joined by my friend Div Kids more pronounceable, Oct, which offers eight free-running LFOs in an insanely tiny space of 4HP. The easiest thing in the world. You turn the rate dial and stuff goes wub. They also have a ton of completely impenetrable video synthesis modules from LZX. And also a module which, in Jason's eyes, is one of the best analogue drum voices in the world and one of the silliest module names. The Quanalog Boo Boo. So for all your thingies, pick up your internet telephone and contact Signalsounds.com. That website is Signalsounds.com. Why We Bleep is also sponsored by Obsidian Sound. Let us face it. There's never been more electronic music in the world, which is a joy. But that makes it all the harder for an artist's work to stand out. A properly mastered album or single can truly help your music be a better version of itself. Obsidian Sound, run by musician and mastering engineer Nathan Moody, does just that. Nathan has mastered hundreds of ambient, experimental and electronic releases that are consistently featured in best-of, end-of-year lists. Nathan provides that critical, objective ear and final polish so your music more clearly expresses itself and has a bigger impact on the listener. Visit obsidiansound.net and if you mention the Why We Bleep podcast, you get... 10% off your first mastering project with Nathan. Visit obsidiansound.net. Yes, another episode. This time, speaking to Mr. Adrian Utley of the band Portishead. Uh, Yes, this is one that has been oft requested and, I'm very happy to say, is here. Adrian makes music. And that is a very important point and it's the thing I want to think about the most today. I've been obsessing about a series of videos and interviews with Square Pusher recently. Because, of course, it is in the year of our Lord, 2020. We are living in the future. We have all of this technology at our fingertips, an incredible array of things that we can explore and new equipment. We have NAM just around the corner where we're going to find out about even more new equipment, new things. The square pusher. Now, 
that is a person that is always worth thinking about. Obviously, he's got an album out soon, but I'm particularly obsessed over Square Pusher because he's so incredibly transparent about the way that he makes music, and yet his music is unfathomably complex and opaque. And I mean, it's very accessible, don't get me wrong, I suppose. I mean, opaque in the sense that it's so well-constructed. It's frightening music as an electronic musician because you listen to it and you go, okay, yeah, right, I see what you were going for there, but I have absolutely no idea how you possibly constructed it. I just could not sit down and do that. And yet Mr. Jenkinson is so incredibly transparent by the way in which he does it, um, which is Square Pusher in 2020 makes music the same way that he made it in 1997. So if you listen to the Big Loader EP, which I highly recommend you do, I think that's probably one of my favourite things that he's ever done, uh, which has, you know, Come On My Selector on it and various other classics. That was made on an Akai S950 sampler and a Boss DR660 drum machine as the sequencer. He had a reel-to-reel and an SH-101 and a 303. And some records. And a bass guitar. And that's basically it. All he's doing when he makes this music is he is sequencing samples on a sampler that he has recorded in bit by bit. Um, And when I say sequencing, I mean sequencing on a thing that is not really ever designed to be a master sequencer. It was a drum machine. But the DR660 was actually partly designed by Roger Lynn, so that might have something to do with this. Um, And it's capable of really complex programming if you get into it. And Tom clearly did. I love there was an interview where he said, yeah, I was just like in the, I was in a shop and the guy showed it to me. He was like, check this out. And it was just doing like rock drums or whatever. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I could probably get something out of that. And he just bought it. And then he went on to make all this music with it. Uh, and the bottom line here is that Tom still fundamentally works in the same way. The only difference is that from what I can infer from interviews, he uses Reactor as a sampler. So he must have his own custom reactor kind of sample instrument that he's put together that responds to MIDI control messages in the way that he wants. And then he just uses a Yamaha QI700, which is a sort of old, like, 90s grand uh, sequencer that Yamaha made, and he uses that. And so he's using... and. Obviously, the Eventides. If you've read interviews with him, he's well into the Eventide Orville. Not that he endorses Eventide. He's very quick to point that out. He's just like, but clearly that does work for him. Uh, the Orville lets you design your own algorithms and put together blocks and sort of build your own effects. And so he's using Reactor and uh, Orville to do that. And then baking in samples that just have all of this complexity and sound to them and, and s- orchestrating them. And that's a very long-winded way of saying I'm really impressed that he has, you know, bits of kit have come and gone and he's integrated them and sampled them. But on the whole, he's stuck to his guns. He's like, I'm not going to switch DAWs. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to think, oh, if I get this one little bit of kit, then I'm going to start making music. No, he almost actively thinks the opposite. He's like, if I can 
what's the least amount of equipment that I can make music with? And I just think that that is a, you know, I, I live in the industry of, of, of selling things to people and I buy gear all the time. You know, I really do. And I, I am so guilty of this as we all are to some extent at different times, you know, and even square pusher, there are things that he has bought himself that like a big posh mixer and a CS 80 that he could, he argues probably doesn't quite need, but yeah, that's something to think about, isn't it? Like, you can make music that complex, that rich, that interesting with just the simplest bit of equipment. A sampler and a sequencer and precious little else. And you can argue that it's possible to make music that complex because you've mastered all of the tools that you have at your disposal. And if you think about some of the most complex music from Aphex as well, the new music that he's writing imply, you know, is implied through interviews. This is basically his setup, his Yamaha TX uh, 816. What's the sampler that he's sort of old, slightly obscure Yamaha sampler that he's got? And a circle on. Um, and so no, it is no coincidence that I've got my old Yamaha sampler back, the A4000 and a circle on, um, because... I'm interested in that idea. I have a lot of input methods. I have a lot of sound generating equipment. Um, and I think it would be interesting if I can master that sequencer. I think there's a lot to be done. Uh, yeah, they must be onto something. Um, until I, I recognize that embracing a simpler aesthetic or at least embracing a simpler way of making music um, and not being dazzled by the blank canvas of the computer so easily i.e. by not using it, which is ironic, isn't it? Because I'm basically using their anti-gear fetishism as a way of fetishizing samplers and sequences. But, oh well, I've got them, so I don't have to buy them again. And that, I think, neatly brings us on to talking about Mr. Adrian Utley. And I say neatly because um, one of the themes, spoiler alert, that we talk about is this whole idea of being one person and a tape machine. And that is exactly what square pusher is all about and by which i mean you know the glory of electronic music making is that you just as a person in your little room with a complex machine like a modular synth or you know an effects box or something flexible that you really know and can has broad range you that broad range instrument and a tape machine that's all you really need um, and you can produce all the music in your imagination with that setup. Um, and that's what Square Push is doing and Aphex, and of course, a friend of whom is Mr. Adrian Utley. And that's what Adrian loves and does. You know, he is a sort of synth collector, and we do talk about this. Um, but he kind of, he's very quick to point out, he's like, but I use this stuff. I have this stuff because I use this stuff. I don't like to keep things around just to collect for its own sake. I really do use these things. When we talk about his various sort of, you know, why I ask him kind of, why do you collect stuff? Or what is it that, that causes it to stick around? Um, and so this is a kind of sprawling conversation. Um, I actually met Adrian. I realized I met, first met him seven years ago now. Um, the eagle-eared people amongst yourselves have worked out. There is a couple of videos that are online where Adrian is talking about the Archeria Mini Brute. This was when the Mini Brute first came out. 
And there's this video where Adrian kind of just explores the mini brute and is just chatting. Um, and the voice behind the camera, you may recognise, is me uh, from many years ago, uh, before I well, sort of roughly at the same sort of time as I began making videos. And then there's the second video where it's me and Adrian just walking around his synth collection and just chatting about the gear. And those videos have been very popular and with good reason. And it's not myself, it's Adrian. He is just a brilliantly likable person. Um, he's just the nicest possible man that you could hope to meet. The nicest man in the synth industry or the music industry, I should say. Um, even though he describes himself as a complete arse or whatever in this, <laughs> this interview. Um, he's never been an arse to me. He's always been the nicest person possible. And I've always enjoyed chatting about synths with him immensely. Um, and so that's what we do. We just sit and chat about synths and making music. And so, uh, yeah, I don't think he needs much more introduction. Uh, the The day that we met, I think it was the day or the day after the Portishead album Dummy had turned 25. And this was conducted in his Bristol studio. There's a couple of moments. Um, if you're watching the, the video side, uh, Adrian grabs a guitar at one point, but is sort of looking around the room because we're surrounded by his synths, or at least part of his synth collection, because it's much bigger than, than could fit in that room comfortably. Um, so yes, this was conducted in his house um, on a Saturday morning in Bristol. Gotta love Bristol. What a city. So, without any further ado, allow me to introduce Mr. Adrian Utley. Cheers. ATCs are my speakers. Mm. Yeah. And you've got NS10s and Auratones. Yeah. We were talking about it was, this was your Tannoys in the kitchen, which... These would have been Tannoys. What was the model of Tannoys that you said? Uh, well, I've got Little Red and Little Gold. Yeah. Yeah. Little Red's upstairs um, waiting for a job. And uh, have you, what are those floor standards that you've got in your like, living oh, room? Oh, do you remember them? Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, well, I, I figured they were kefs, but then no, I was they're like, spenders. Spenders. Yeah, they're and they're um, <laughs> they're made by this weird. Yeah, they BBC reference monitors. Yeah, yeah. If you get, yeah, and that whole thing, we can talk about that forever. But hi-fi is difficult. <sighs> it just. I bought loads of it and I sold most of it. I was chatting to. Um, you can't turn the treble up on the really good amps. Like yeah, this guy. <laughs> um, uh, George at UDO, which is a Bristol synth company, and they're making a new... I know George. Yeah, George Hearn. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. He's really cool. He's really lovely. Yeah, are you talking to him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. he's awesome. Yeah. Say hi. Yeah, I've I really, seen him for ages. Yeah, I saw him last night at this this party, and he was, um, he's developing a new synth. I know, he is, he's always you, doing you, that. No, he brings various versions over to me. Yeah. Sorry. Um, he brings various versions. Are you recording now? You are? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He brings various versions over over the years. Me and Will saw one, a polysynth, really cool. Double. He did the double oh eight, but um, he's doing this new one called the Super Six, right? Which is like inspired. I mean, I think he's rightly keen to say it's like it's not a Jupiter Eight or anything. It's not a Roland, but it. It clearly it looks like a Jupiter Six, but it sounds like some kind of futuristic Jupiter. Where it's, it, but it's he's got this binaural thing where it it 
it creates it's either 12 voices non-binaural or six voices binaural so right. that it's it's doing different things in the left and right and when you play i was just trying at this super boost show in berlin and like just holding down a chord and just like you know if you'd looked across it would have looked like i sort of stopped functioning <laughs> just like, you know you just <laughs> entranced by this kind of tone that it makes it really has a sound that is oh, special. that's interesting because yeah. it's like i don't often hear that in new synthesizers you know it's kind of it it's like i was yeah. like looking for the the you know no one makes a jupiter 8 and i love that i'm a real sucker for that particular sound it's yeah, just incredible it just yeah they do just sound great it's just such a classy lovely tone and yeah uh, just... i mean i think some of those old synths you know which is why it's interesting that george is making something that doesn't sound like an old synth if you like yeah yeah, yeah. but this chair's squeaky isn't it should i get on a box no, it's all right is it all right yeah it's fine um i think why is it um you know a lot of modern synths sound like old synth uh are trying to sound like old synth so yeah. you might well it's very arrogant to say you might as well buy the old one because they are actually very expensive. But in a way, the old ones have that and more. Mm. There's more. But what they don't have is that, which is you're not going to get a binaural yeah, overhive. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, going to happen, is it? Beautiful. No, I mean, that, you know, that Korg I've got, whatever, it, 3200, is a most incredible sound. Uh, especially if you bung it through space, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's shocking, but it's not binaural or any of that stuff, you know. And it's, you know, you could see they were trying to achieve that by putting like the chorus circuit in the Juno 6 and 6. Yeah, and that's you know. got chorus in it. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's right. They're trying to make it move and be bigger. Yeah. Which is, um, you know. But overcoming it, in the case of the Juno, I think they were almost like hand wringing for the fact that it only has one oscillator and it's like, yeah, maybe. You're not get that kind of animated sound and it's um but they created something else in the way on the way i mm. think you know there are amazing synths who is it who, yeah someone was saying oh. i was just reading some really really old um copy like news copy or it was someone talking about synths and saying how the beauty of acoustic instruments is they're very alive and every moment they're doing interesting oh yes. it was um it's david vorhouse Love it was david, david vorhouse and he was talking about how um, with synthesizers, you really have to work to make them do. feel alive. Yeah. And the, the, the job of work of a synthesist should be to work and make it sparkle and crackle mm. and come to life because the static tones that a synth makes are very boring. He's like, Yeah, well, I, are, I disagree and agree with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, I think I, I, I agree on the, on, on the level that, you know, and often Will Gregory and I talk about this. There's a thing called... Um, I'm going to have to have a look because it's a good thing. Touche. Do you know them? Touche. Touche. Expressive E, yes, I know yes. them really well. well um, we, they, so you can set, because I was talking to them early days when it was a prototype mm. and they brought it to put into my, you know, to, for me to try with my stuff. And um, I think the modular, you know, if you've got modular, you can get into lots of stuff. Yeah. You can route that, that touchpad to so quite a like few a, different things. Yeah, it's like a, it's based on the own Martino, you know, where, exactly. with the pressure concept. Which is, I've always wanted one yeah, of them, yeah. so it's really cool. So that will, you depending on how you set that patch up, and you could even actually, with Eurorack and stuff, you can affect reverb time and stuff. Mm. So you are actually 
going to make this patch that will be more three-dimensional, you know, which, like Vorhaus is saying. Mm. And I think that is part of it. Like, you remember listening to, like, Bernie Worrell, was it? The, yeah, yeah. You know, with Parliament or whoever, um, using his mini mood, using the mod wheel, using the bends, using the filter. Yeah, yeah. It, it was alive, wasn't it? Yeah, you know? it was. Um, but like- then at the same time, I really like um, Gary Newman, where it's mm. completely still and yeah, electronic. Yeah. And it's not really anything other than just a synth tone. It's like embracing like drum machines, the fact that they make very rigid, static robotic and enjoying that. as a Absolutely. Aesthetic. I love it. I mean, actually, I think an 808, I think the tone ever so slightly changes. It does. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I've got an old 808 and used it on loads of things. And, you know, it's not the same every time it no. triggers a sound. They're all like, it's weird. I was talking to the guy who works for a company is a company called system 80 in canada and they he's making a euro rack version of the the 808 and it's beautiful little like module and it's all there and it works exactly the same way and he was talking about how you know when designing the voicing architecture of like a clone of an 808 you've got a, a thankless task because if you make it exact then people will tell you it's wrong yeah because what people's interpretation of an 808 is now not only is are no 808s factory. You know, absolutely no one has a factory 808 from the old days. They've all aged and all of the tolerances of capacitors have dried out slightly. So everything has gone wonky. Yeah. And then, so he said he was listening to like records from the 80s. Because of course, the joke is that records are now the, those are the time capsules for what 808s were meant to sound like. Right. You know, but of course, even those have been mixed and mastered and yes. put through effects and stuff. Well, very much so. But yeah, yeah but it's sort of that idea that you, you have to, the time capsule is music and that's the way you can hear you know, what it is. But then you get into this thing that all of the subsequent cultural 30 years of using these things and then the term, 808 baseline, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. using you can't like the 808. Yeah, and it's like, what do you mean? And it's like, what they mean is taking like a sine wavy thing and distorting it and making it much longer. Like, so for as a practical example, I said to him, I was like, when I got it, I was like, oh, it's great. But the, and a clap on his one is fucking murder. Like, it sounds so good. The clap. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but, the, but the bass drum, I was like, it's too short. It doesn't do the because they don't decay thing and it's because they don't do yeah, they that don't do he's that. like he's like scouts honor they don't do that um, yeah, they don't. and they never did and it's just and actually really, what i realized was that i've got the tip top bass drum 808 module and he the guy at tip top made it so it didn't it's, it's longer yeah um, well you kind of want that sometimes but you could put a sign tone you don't need yeah, to yeah. have to do that but um no I, I think so i mean i love the fact that an 808 I used to talk about Jeff uh, to Jeff about this, um, and they don't swing like a nine oh nine can swing. Yeah. Uh, so, for a long time, I feel different about it now. But for a long time, I always thought they didn't sound right when they got when they swing. Yeah. You know, they don't sound like an eight oh eight. You can get the swing from somewhere else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Get program something else that swings with it if you want that. Um, there's there's something kind of a little sacred about them. They're kind of and the and the and the kick drum doesn't isn't long you mm. know so you enjoy the instrument as it is yeah. i think but i mean i you know listening to billy eilish recently and yeah. loads of 808 on there lots of long um sign tones uh, you know i mean it's about music in the end isn't it you know <laughs> yeah. and it sounds great that yeah, stuff yeah. yeah 
That's quite. I heard music quite bonkers. I've just. I've listened. I, sh- I was watching Glastonbury. It was Glastonbury, wasn't it? She was there. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and yeah. I was just like, who's this? Yeah, <laughs> I felt very cool. old. It was like, but you know. And well, I think it, I, I was really interested in that because I was listening. My kids are into it as well. Yeah, yeah. And and strangely, they said, "What do you think of Billie Eilish, Dad? We hate her." And I said. Well, I think she's cool, actually. Yeah. I listened to her, and the programming's bloody amazing. Yeah. There's no reverb or anything, you know. It's, yeah, it's all really, like, close. It's yeah, almost it's like a, that ASMR thing that people get, you know, it's like people whispering into microphones. Yeah, and, yeah. And, like, have becoming YouTube, like, making a fortune on YouTube because they have oh, whole yeah, channels yeah. dedicated to oh, these yeah. well, sounds. Oh, yeah, into that as yeah, well. Yeah. It's mental, isn't it? But then Slime. when I – because they thought – because thank goodness my kids still think I'm slightly cool. <laughs> so they said, oh, she must be cool then. <laughs> That's not going to last. You've done well. Yeah, I've done all right. Yeah, yeah. I'd say 10% of the time they're like that with me. The rest of the time I'm just an arse, you know. <laughs> an old fuddy duddy who this knows about cool. cool for me. You're going to need to get Yeah, you'll get there. be cool. <laughs> but um, I was, I was talking old synths. I just watched the remastering, remastered version of the larger edit longer edit of apocalypse now mm. are you do you know that soundtrack no not Fucking at all hell, man honestly i've seen it like once i think have you yeah. oh we get it it's incredible is it it's a synthy yeah yeah it's like it's, it's um coppola's dad um doing orchestration and then you've got people like patrick gleason and um mm. who work with herbie hancock and all those you yeah, know yeah. and a whole raft of people actually what's his name kraus from Bernie beaver Crow? and kraus no, yeah, no. Uh, that's someone else don't know. Well, you know, the guy who yeah, yeah. worked with the Beatles in the 60s yeah. and they made a lot of records. Well, we, he was actually a demonstrator for Moog synthesizers. Um, He's Bernie Krauss. Bernie that's, Krauss. That's why yeah, I that's heard right. the name. That's why I was like, because from synth history. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, he was involved with the yes. sales of, yes. of, but he was also a programmer for lots of people yeah. and the Beatles included, yeah, you know, yeah. possibly the Rolling Stones, I don't know. But when they were all like, oh, we've got to have a modular move. Well, yeah, and there was no one else. They just didn't know anyone else no. who knew how to use the machine. And then fantastically, you know, you hear, and I don't know whether he's involved in this, but on Abbey Road and stuff, all, I mean, that was such an influence on me, the, the sound of the Moog on, on Abbey Road. Mm. As a kid, I didn't even realise it. I, didn't, I, I still don't really know where the bits of Moog are on Abbey Road. Oh, like, they're all over the place. Yeah, they're like they, they're, they're like they're blended just, in perfectly, yeah, so which is which it. I absolutely love. Yeah. I love that. I love really straight synths, but I also like synths when they're mixed with the real instruments. Yeah, and um, yeah, Abbey Road, like something, you know, the tune something. There's tons of Moog on that. Yeah. Um, uh obviously Massive Silver Hammer, but um, uh, yeah, huge, mm. even just like masses of white noise mm. just on it so they were really enjoying having that thing you know yeah. um but anyway apocalypse now also a blended orchestral and synthesis uh, synthesizers there's a guy playing i don't know i really don't remember this and i won't remember it um it's a wind instrument before yui and uh, all of those things uh, mm. from the early well, like late a, 70s. What, not a synth wind thing? It's a synth, like, yeah, and it's got a wheel thing on, like a I canister. I saw Sun Ra's orchestra doing it, Probably and they had that. They had that like, yeah, where it would be, like, be that. Do, well, yeah, I don't know what it was. Incredible. So yeah, somebody's yeah. playing one of them. It's Oh, I'll tell you who it is. It's Steiner. Steiner? As in, it's like Steiner Parker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's he did a Steiner, one of those guys. Wind, Steiner wind instrument. Yes, that's or, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of them, and they yeah. uh, uh, and so somebody is playing that, he's playing that, and they've got a real flute, which I think is Carmine... 
Coppola, who's Coppola's dad. Yeah, yeah. So I've always been fascinated by that for probably 30 years or so. You mean like the perfect blending of acoustic? Well, to me, they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a real flute and a synthesized flute. Yeah. And, um, and then there's tons of strings, and there's layers and layers. And I just read that they had no time restriction because the whole thing was bonkers anyway. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of people working on it, and they could work. Coppola would listen to it and go, nah, that's not it. Go and, and they'd go, <laughs> go and do something else. Two months. And yeah. The, and uh, you can imagine in those days, uh, although it, it profit had arrived by then, it was mm. late 70s, wasn't it? But anyway, I'd have a listen to that, because yeah, yeah. from in terms of pure synthesis, and actually the people at the very top of being able to program and good orchestral writers and it's a phenomenal soundtrack mm. and, uh, and a, a fantastic blend of electronics and acoustics. That's a, a, the, my one experience of that sort of thing, I went and interviewed and, and met the guy Craig Leon who did, yeah. uh, he did this Back to Moog album. I remember it. A couple it. of years ago on the System 55. Yeah. And he was doing exactly this. He was like, his absolute end goal was like the perfect hybridization of acoustic and synth. He was like, you know, and talking about layers, he's like, if you de- deconstructed all of the layers of my mixes, mm. you'd be like, what the hell is that little noise? And there's like mm. a little squiggle here and a little like, and like a tiny little thing, but but added up to the articulation, it, it creates this. this Was he doing bar? Yeah, so yeah. he's doing like arrangements. And interestingly, he was saying how with a lot of Bach music, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about it, mm. but he's like, Bach didn't necessarily dictate what instruments were supposed to be played, what's not known. And it, it was simply, he was just simply writing music and it was, it's been up to interpretation to work out what his intention was to what instrument would play what line and, and mm-hmm. how to do it. And so that's led, left it naturally open to being interpreted and, and well, I played think by other instruments. It's such a fantastic, uh, he's such an incredible composer mm. and, uh, his inventions, you know, on piano and, um, Do you know, and he, then, huh? he was 17 when he wrote Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Yeah, most probably. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like, and he, uh, actually this is heartening. He had a lot of children. Right. I think many, many children lived oh. in a small house, wherever it was. And, oh, wow. um, he used to lock himself in his room and no children were allowed in there. Well, you know what that's like. His house is described as being like a beehive. Really? Yeah, so much fucking noise from the children. Yeah. I mean, I know exactly how he feels. And he made music. And he made music. And he music. didn't even have headphones. No. It, it was Beethoven was an incredible deaf, deaf, wasn't it? Yeah, it was <laughs> Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, just checking. Well, the thing about Bach is that he was, he, was a, he was an absolute expert at what he did. Yeah. In the last part of his life, when he was the same age as me, which was very old in those days, yeah, he travelled to meet Frederick, who, um, Prince Frederick, I think it was, like, um, German guy who was really into music and the thing then was that, you, that you'd get a theme and then you would have to enlarge on it, mm. improvise basically right, right, right. and they had set up Bach, uh, Maestro was arriving at the court but he was only a, a lowly man obviously compared to a king and they they gave him a chromatic line, just a line, chromatic right. and the others had improvised on this and made stuff and he absolutely smashed it he came from like a two-day trip from leipzig to wherever on a coach you can imagine what that's like as an old fella yeah with track roads um got off and they immediately dropped this on him you know and he just absolutely smashed it apparently and uh you can hear that as a six-part invention um and just the interweaving he was an absolute master of that stuff 
um, it, it was a discipline of that time. Mm. Um, and Do you mean combining lots of different well, lines? or start with different? one line, then yeah. another line starts underneath it, and they complement each other, so to yeah. speak. But your mind is constantly um, being – there's two-part inventions and, you know, and also bigger ones. So yeah. you – that's why it's so good for your brain, I think, listening to Bach, because it's if you listen, want to hear, listen uh, to Glenn Gould, for instance, the piano player, you can hear all these different lines, um, and and like you say, they would be on different instruments. They yeah. could could be on different instruments, but these are probably written for harpsichord and yeah. organ, possibly, um, and they just it, it's an incredible thing. So it is natural for somebody like Wendy Carlos to want to do that, who mm. studied mm. that kind of music anyway, but it works so well with the synthesizer yeah. because there are, d- 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 you know, defined areas of sonic or of yeah. pitch. And, uh, and it's, it, it, it's a fantastic thing. It works really well. I think I prefer Wendy Carlos's stuff. I think she had a, a deeper understanding of Bach. Yeah. Um, I'm probably treading on very thin ground here, but, also, the synth wouldn't stay in tune, which is mm. absolutely awesome, and must have driven her completely bonkers. Yeah, yeah. I did meet her actually in New York once. Did you? Friend. Yeah, incredible. Wow, um, absolutely well, she, incredible. She's like, she's not make, writing music or like available to the world. She's no, not really. Still alive, and it's like yeah, busy. I, I guess think. she's just retired. Is she, or does she make music? And well, I met her something like twenty years ago. Right. Um, so I don't know what she's doing now, but then she was doing stuff, archiving things. And yeah. She had those big digital synths, not Synclavia, but that kind of thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, she yeah. really embraced it, like, all... Yeah, it moved on. Synth it, technology. It would, exactly. So yeah. the big Moog that is still there with the yeah, yeah. huge bespoke-built um, vocoder, which is a huge, great big rack of stuff on its own built by Bob Moog. Is that one that will be on, like, Clockwork Orange? Yeah, soundtrack? I'm almost sound. certain it would be. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's like proper hair-raising vibes. It's that, totally brilliant. Can do. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I mean, the Clockwork soundtrack full stop. It's but, incredible, isn't it? Yeah. But also, actually, one of my favourite pieces of music is from um, The Shining, the opening yes. sequence of The da, Shining. Da, da, it's incredible. Da, da. Yeah. Oof, is that... Is that not um, Penderecki or whatever, is no, it? No, Penderecki is involved. He's in, I, that's, not involved but, in with no, that. No, but, yeah, no. Yeah. It blew my mind when I, was, when I learned that a lot of music was just, you know, a, a wacky Polish composer as mm-hmm. well. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously there's the Wendy Carlos stuff mm-hmm. and it, I love it. And it. But it's like a lot of that music was chosen. It wasn't specifically for those scenes. You know, that incredible choral sort of like... Uh, like, well, he, um, Kubrick does that, doesn't yeah, he? He did it on. I mean, actually, it's a master, a master stroke to get Wendy to do the record, to do the soundtrack for Clockwork Orange, because there's a guy who's into Beethoven, yes, but it's set yes, in the future. Yes, so yes, that, why don't we do it on a massive MOOC, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and you have this otherworldly sound to it, which is completely brilliant. Um, no, I think um, yeah, the Penderecki thing is where he says, um, or when he's typing. All work, no play, mm. you know, whatever. And it's it those is. kind of really spooky, like kind of string almost stuff. like atonal kind of soundscapes. Yeah, I mean, they are. Yeah, they are. It's an incredible piece of music. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> yeah, now. I don't know it. I'm I not, bought the score of it actually yeah. because I wanted to know what was going on. It is amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that you know, Wendy did fight with the sound of the Moog. Oh, oh, that's it. We were talking about her being embracing technology, but mm. the Moog when it was new 
she she was in part of the development of it. She was, so yeah, it was yeah, like absolutely. buying like a modern envelope synth. generators and things. Exactly. Like I'm fairly sure were like Wendy saying That's what we I need heard. we need articulation systems for this yeah. Bob going, Oh well, that's how I could do it like this. Yeah, I think that's right. And yeah. um so it was cutting edge technology, really. So it's not it's really obvious that she would go with the digital stuff as it comes mm. out because it's yeah. You know, um but I, I yeah, I think that that's completely genius programming and done on like a four track or an eight track bounce. I think it was an eight, uh, it was an eight, eight track, track. But yeah. like, yeah, you would have to bounce and commit yeah. layer upon layer. Upon and where layer. do you start? I don't, I literally Where don't do you start <laughs> with, a, with a shitty click? What do you Maybe start you don't. with? Maybe Like, I guess you start with one line. I really don't know. Yeah, it's you'd like, have to start with one line because there isn't. Yeah, I, I do have a fetishization of the idea of like, I'd love to just have like a big modular and a reel to reel, but I can't, I, la- I can't play, is the problem. And it requires such You've got a, to be able to play, an yeah. innate ability to, to, to react in a moment and play along and, and layer and know what's coming and instantly anticipate and slowing a push. It's actually what I was talking to Gaz Williams about. One, he was saying that they'd, he'd been delighted to work, find that Melodyne could extract the tempo from performances so he was able to record a guitarist and allow the guitarist to do the initial first pass mm. completely with no click track mm-hmm. and then to to like impose the subtle movement in timing of his guitar performance onto the arrangement so they could then lay out other elements as bricks but but they would move smoothly. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I like, know exactly so what it, you mean. It, yeah. the, the computer respected the human's performance. Yeah, and, yeah. And of course, in the case of Wendy Carlos, it's like she she would just have to know that she nap. Maybe she didn't slow down and speed up. That oh, much. I think she probably maybe did. She did play yeah, to a metronome. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. No, it's unlikely. I would I would think. Um, but it's it's it's. I've often thought, where did she actually start with that? And I've watched on some old film of her mixing it. Mm. One one of those UA boards with the you know the giant knobs on it, yeah, yeah. Um, and the filter stuff. I know this because Will Gregory's Moog Group Ensemble does a lot of bark, and I mm. although I don't have the keyboard chops to play that, I do add white noise and stuff into this to make you know the subtle kind of yeah. moogy type things that yeah. happen in there. And the it is about it cannot be to a click. You know, yeah. and the dynamics are really important. So everybody's using the filter as the dynamic, the volume knob, volume knob, if right. you like. Yeah, but also um, timbre as well. Right. Yeah. For for pianissimo and forte. For, uh, mm. So it's um, I I still think um, what's it called? Swish on Bark. Yeah. Is a most incredible piece of work. And it was apparently it was like. Number what was one, the was stat? It? it was yeah, it was yeah. it was like in the Billboard charts for like two years. It's ridiculous. It was one of the best-selling pieces of classical music. And of all you know time. that Glenn Gould, who is you know in my mind, well, he's he's one of the the best exponents of playing Bach for me, anyway, mm. and a lot of other people. Um, it was his favourite recording of Bach, right. which is weird, isn't it? Yeah, because the classical weird. world were like, now nah, that's what's that, you know. But if you like a harpsichord, how can you not like a synth? In a sense, yeah. they're very like you know, and a synth is far can be far more dynamic. You know, a harpsichord is naturally an undynamic instrument. It is, yeah. It's all about timing, you know. Yeah, I, it's interesting the idea of like synths taking on more of the dynamics and expression of the the human player and yeah that was again it was another conversation i'd had but like these are things that are like like the things that are stuck in my craw was um ch- chatting to the guy ian williams from battles you know the band battles i do yeah uh, we put them on at ATP, yeah yeah and so he was saying i was like what do you think is the future of music and he's like i like when 
an electronic music instrument, like he was talking about touch plates, and it was actually yeah, yeah. the make noise pressure points where yes. you can press down, and depending on how much you push your finger, it creates control voltage. Yes. Uh, he's like, I like things like that. I like ways where the errors and the, the quivers of human dynamics yeah. can be allowed to come through, but but with a synth. You know? yeah. And if you listen to their music, it's... Uh, you know, and when I saw them play live, they're almost intentionally avoiding a click track. You know, they're they're almost intentional. Like he's putting, he has an octa track, and he's he's like putting things, and he's using the fader on the octa track to 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 be the um, time knob on a delay, and he's really embracing that whoa, kind of slow, yeah, yeah. the slow push pull, and he's taking whole elements of the track, and he's it's like he's put it through, you know a delay but with an infinite repeat and it's just you're hearing the fully wet delay right. it just lets the whole thing slow and grind and then come forward and back and it's sort of um embracing the imperfections like like actively fighting the idea of a click track i think is is a commendable like i i agree i mean I, I came up through not having click tracks you know recording in studios and still do um it's really useful if you want to edit but we've yeah. all got into that mode of like, I need to edit. Yeah. Whereas I imagine if you're in a Nashville studio with a wicked sounding room or, you know, whatever, the last thing you want is a click. Yeah. There's really good players that were brought up not playing to click. Um, I, I think we've all learned to play with click. I just made a jazz record a couple of months ago to tape to a half inch tape mm. with lovely mics nice. and fantastic players. Um, and there's no click. Yeah. It's just music played really well. In real time. And yeah. I mean, it doesn't work for all of that. You couldn't have Billie Eilish with that click, possibly. No. But they might even be slowing clicks down and stuff to, to get that. It's another world. Um, they're distinctly different worlds, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of down with all of them. You know, mm. whatever. I loved it when Atari came out and everything was rigid. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you could have, you know, beats that you made with your, on your sampler with, with Atari rock solid when I first got Apple after my Atari, I wanted to slave the the, the Mac to the to the Atari because it just didn't wasn't tight enough, you know. It just didn't. The sound. So you, you like rigidity because you wanted the computer thing, or yeah. just, you just wanted the control. Like you wanted, wanted the ability perfect. to slip it and have the slip be exactly right. Well, I wanted, you know, if you had, for instance, like when we made Dummy, or yeah, yeah. you know, any of those record Dummy and the second record. Um, we had an Atari and an S S thousand or a couple of. S1000. I love that you said that. I was like, I was, I literally put it on yesterday. I was like, and the mint, the, like the very first, like that first beat. I just in my mind, I just saw the big white face of that yeah, yeah. sampler. Yeah, yeah. And it's so like it's it's. I find it interesting how it's like a it's a band, but it, it's very electronic and it's very like yeah. it, it feels like the kind of music that could have just been a person in their bedroom. Well, it could have. It's weird, and it takes, but it takes a whole band's discipline to like make it controlled. Well, and it's because not... we made our own samples, and um, yeah. a lot of the time, you know. So, but with all this in mind, that's another massive subject. But I, what, what I do like, and Jeff did the beats, obviously. Um, I love that scooped the scooped beat sound as well. Like, what's that? What's on the first? Um, I now can't think of the name of the track. On the Mistron. Spot. Mistron. Yeah. Where it's like the beat is like you've you've EQ'd almost all of the center or something out of it. It's like hollow. Yeah. It's there's like, a lot of, um, like really a lot of brutal EQ. Yeah. On there, yeah. 
<laughs> I like that. I think it's great. I'm like, and I would never have. I don't think I would ever have done made that choice. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like if that would be that would be wrong, but it's not. It's... No, I mean actually, we did come up against problems in that when you turn it up really loud, which we always did. There were so many weird rogue frequencies in there because of the mids that yeah. were were not sorted out. Yeah, um, uh, that it had its own little problems in there. But I think the thing is that you know what was exciting for me was, and I'm less excited by now within within Mac programs within Pro Tools and stuff. There's a kind of rigidity that I'm not mad about unless keep going back to Billie Eilish, but it's mm. just because I was listening with the kids last night. And there's a solid sound to that. It's really, that works to me, that works. It's not trying to sound like a live band. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there is live stuff on there, but um, but um, the thing about sampling at that time was it was halfway between live playing in a studio and, and utterly rigid. Mm. And I'm discarding many years of 80s synth pop and... Human League and all that was solid. Well, actually, that was pretty edgy early on. Yeah, yeah. Not in time, because some of it. Um, but hip-hop was based on, you know, really cool players, which had to pull and pu- push and pull within the thing. So you could chop up beats and make them really spot on, mm. um, and which is what we all did. And for me, I was fascinated by you'd take a break and you'd chop it up and you'd have to slightly detune a section of it um, to make it be in time. Mm. Um, but what, what that did, if you had any ambience in the background, it would change the pitch slightly. Mm. So the pitch would drop. Now, these are all the things that we used to think about with Portishead. Yeah. Reverbs that were not in the bar, I'm going to be really geeky, were not in the bar that we you're hearing. They were, like, if you're going to take a sample, and this is a break, say drums, um, the bar before might have had a vocal in it and the so reverb is hanging over. You know what I'm saying? So you get that, like, ah, like yeah. just at the very But it might be an incredibly the, subtle yeah, yeah, yeah. amount. But w- what it becomes when you tune it, you can hear it tuning. Yeah. You might not even have been aware of it in the reverb there, but it'll just change pitch with your tuning. So then when you chop things up and change bits of it, the tuning will go, ew, ew, ew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, to me, was absolutely fascinating. Yeah. As a, as a, somebody coming from playing, and that couldn't happen in the world that I lived in. Mm. Um, so when I first heard hip hop, I was thinking, "What the fuck is going on? That's this amazing atmosphere has changed." So for me, Atari and an S thousand or an S nine fifty were a revelation for me. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, like, yeah, it's a little wonder. Like, I was re-listening to re-listening. I was listening. I'm an idiot. I've never properly put a lot of them on, but like old Kate Bush records mm-hmm. and just like the use of like use of like Fairlight yeah, and the fair creator. Brilliant. You can just you can hear uh, like her delight at the options that were being presented. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, and the kinds of things that were like, fuck, I can make a song out of this sound. Like, well, I th- that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that at that time, technology moved so slowly, really, mm. compared to now. You know, we, we, we've we already talked about earlier about a million other things that have come out just recently. Yeah. Um, and things are moving on all the time with the, with the Eurorack modular systems. Yeah. Not only are they moving on in terms of there are new modules all the time, your own system. Yeah. It's like you've gone, taken a mini Moog and gone, I go and see your mini Moog, for instance, yeah, and yeah. go, oh, where's the oscillator gone? Where, why have you not got three oscillators? Why have you got 20 yeah, oscillators? Yeah. And why are they over on the left, on the right and not yeah, on the yeah. left? 
because everything is fluid within Eurorack, really. Yeah. And, and most of us go, oh, do you know what? I want that oscillator over here now. All right, do you know what? I'm fed up with that. Fed up with that. I'll get this filter. So it's all changing all the mm. time. And there's no – one doesn't really get the same relationship as That's with, the only thing that kills me. Like, as, as an example of that, I went to a synth meet in Peterborough, <laughs> as you do, yeah. and um, there was this guy. Do you know Basil Brooks? Have you heard of that man? Yeah, He's, I do, from the old days. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Basil Brooks. He was in um, Zorch. Is it? Well, I don't know if, yeah, if he was. It, I don't know if he's ever in a band or. Yeah, he well, was. I know, I know got, his brother. He's basically got. This guy's got a Cynthia. Yeah. And he has had that Cynthia since he was 16 years old. Yeah, yeah. And he's. he's. I mean, apologies to Basil if he's not, but I've, he, I'm pretty sure he's in his 60s. Yeah, he will be. And it's yeah. like. I'm like. Good grief. And, and you know, he was there and he was, he was really enthusiastic. Like, he's about seven foot tall. He's kind of like, this is, yeah, he's like showing me it. And he's got, he's got like ears on it, on his system. It's I've been, seen every it. Every mod has been done on it. It's like, there are pictures of it on the internet. Green ears. Uh, yes. Yeah, I've it's seen it. It's got green ears. Well, I know his brother yes. from Dartmoor. Right. And he had that sense for a while. I think a dog shat in it. <laughs> <laughs> in one of them, right, okay. <laughs> Can happen. into the patch board. Fuck what? Yeah, grim. <laughs> that's, that's fucking, that's fucking what? Of all the places to I know, shit, I know. And into it was the Gilmette patch board, like, it was bad. And they're expensive. Those little. Oh, I think I tore it apart. Robin probably might have yeah. had to do that. Well, but what, my yeah, you know, yeah. my point was like. I, I'm at this a Eurorack synth meeting and he's showing me. He's like, yeah, I've had it for, since I was 16. My uncle was a sound is He was like a sound film composer, a sound well, designer. Well, that, that's the guy who owned that synth over there. Right. That's Ed Williams. It's yes. his uncle. who's oh. died, unfortunately, two years, three years ago. Right. I bought that from Ed. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so that's their uncle. Wow. Okay, um, right. Well, there's... there's he owned the EMS company. Right, okay, well, there's a connection for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but and, you know, as he's telling me this, I'm looking at it, I'm like, fucking hell, like, I'm like, this whole Eurac thing, I'm like, it, it was exactly as you said, it's like, when will we ever develop a lifelong, and I mean, I'm having a lifelong relationship with my Eurac synth, but as you say, it's a fluid one. It's one where well, I think I'm having a relationship with the format and, and incarnations of it, and that's, that's, in a weird way, it, it, it is always this. It is all the same synth because it's a Eurorack synth and it does the kinds of things that I make Eurorack synths do. But, but again, it was just this idea of like you know you buy a guitar and it's your guitar and you've and you know that instrument back to front. You know what it's good for and what it's bad for. And yep. it's, and, and I worry that we're going to lose. We lose some of that. But I suppose there will always be instruments in our studio that. You know, I've got a Juno 60 and I'll never part with it. And it's No, like, they're amazing. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's and right they, you can't reason. mod, well, you could mod them, but you wouldn't. I actually have modded. Yeah. You have. Yeah, like, I've got like a special chip and it adds, it just adds a few little like secret things behind the hood. Oh, right. Including okay. detune, which is otherworldly. When you, what, across the keyboard? Or? Yeah, it's yeah. just like a kind of like um, a like random detuning of the entire voice. Obviously, the, the Juno 60 is very stable. Yeah. You know, ruthlessly stable. Yeah. It's digitally timed. Yeah. And then, but what it does is it just adds that woozy CS80 yeah. quiver or like sort of wooze to it. It sounds, it sounds like a very Aphex twin. It instantly reminds me of those beautiful, like on some of his Probably records. Those well, yeah, things. exactly. Yeah. yeah. PSS. PS3. I think he's got the 3,000. Yeah, three yeah. of them. I think he? he's got, there's a picture with him and I, he's yeah, got three, three of them. Of them. <laughs> Will's got one now. 
One of those. Bought one off yeah, him. Right, yeah, right, okay, yeah. Exactly. Um, even he realised that three was probably more. <laughs> well, they came from Colcut, I think. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah, I did yeah. hear that, sir. Matt Black had them. That's right, yeah. yeah. There's a big, long story about that. But, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm, do you know what? In the end, you do what you do. And I think that whatever gives you joy. I remember watching um, I Dream of Wires, mm. is it? Yeah, um, yeah, which was about, like I said, it was about three days too short, that, for me. I needed more. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I thought it was quite long. I, well, it was, man, I, it? I was like, this is long even for me. I can, I can take any <laughs> oh, amount of sense she can throw good. at me. Um, but um, I think... Um, there was one section, I might be wrong, but I seem to remember it was a white synth, I can't remember which, modular. And the guy came home. Is this mod, maybe Modcan? Modcan, yeah, Canada, possibly. Like a big 5U-esque thing. Like no, that, I don't think it white. was. Yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. in there, and the guy's, um, uh, he never plays out. He, he comes home, and he, it's like, you used a really good word earlier when we were chatting, and I can't remember what it was now. It's about... Um, Nest or something like that? Nest building. Nest building. Nest building. So you've got this thing, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and it, and I understood. I've always been sort of sceptical that why are you getting all this stuff if you're not making music to go out in the world? And yeah. then there's also, there's too much of that as well on YouTube occasionally, you know, stuff that's not that interesting because we've got absolute sensory overload nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how my kids can even deal with it, to be honest with you the amount of stuff that comes at us. Um, I'm sure we'll suffer in the future from that kind of... Overload. Overload of information. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's another thing. But um, he he said he just... Um, uh, that's his... He comes home and he does that. Mm. And it's about the building of it and how it looks and also just sitting there making music, yeah. not for anyone else, just for not him. Not recording a note. And not yeah. recording any yeah. of it, yeah. And I think, okay, I get it. That's your thing, and that's completely fine. Yeah. So I'm never going to be cynical about that again. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no different to someone having a guitar in their living room. And, and, never... they, and all they do is just play Wonderwall on it or something. Yeah. German. It's just like, because what you're doing in the moment is unwinding from yes. your day. Exactly. You're, you're, you're relaxing as a human being, and it's like, you know, you can't argue with that. It's it's fine. It's yeah, it's, I think it's it a totally different is. pursuit to make it. It's, it's an aspect of making music, it, and it all just depends on just being honest with yourself in terms of what you, you know, what do you really want to achieve? And it's I get guilty, but if I don't, I do want to make music with these things. I want mm. to. Well, you do, don't you? Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. I don't have as much time as I like. I'm making videos of things and doing demos, but in in, in a and funny way, I get to make music and having a baby. <laughs> yeah. um, in those, but in those videos, I get to make music. And, yeah. You know, I was talking to someone who said he was like, "Oh yeah, you should release. You know, have you not released the yeah, the things that are in things. some of your videos?" And I'm like, "No, no, no," because I literally recorded that for that video, and that's and I don't have. Do you know what I mean? It's like I've not recorded it in a way that I can like make a track out of it now. It's kind of done, so I could sample it and work with it, but it's I can't get the sound back, and I I would need to leave the synth on so I could do other parts. And, yeah, and but, but he did, um, yeah. but he kind of said, and he was right. He was like, well, actually, sort of making the video is almost your release. <laughs> You've kind of done yeah, it. I've watched some of them; they're yeah. really cool. Yeah, thank you. But it's, you could actually quite easily sit down and go, okay. I'm, I'm going to make a video, but actually I'm not going to make a video. I'm going to make a track. Make a track. Yeah, yeah. You could Maybe do it. Because it, it's your head, your hands, your gear. Exactly, yeah. yeah. 
I did have a weird moment. I was like, am I better at writing music when there's a camera on it? And I'm, I feel, ah, you feel more like you're, like you're on stage. And I you... love the psychology of music. I, I think that that's, that's a really valid point because, you, you know, it's really hard sometimes to make music and to get that moment. And, and I think you need to record virtually everything you do. And we can yeah. now, you know. Yeah. Is it Peter um, Gabriel that had like, oh, it yeah, was all probably. set to be recording all the time? Yeah. Yeah. Just in case something did Only something. 300 tracks Maybe or too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's that idea that, like, yeah, you when the red light is on, people change. You really do. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much you do it. And I was with... I was just doing a session, I was telling you, in, down in Provence in France, in a La Fabrique studio, which is an amazing studio, with incredible players, old-school players, sight-reading you know played on records we all know massive records we all know wow. michael jackson stuff and oh, wow. and you just go the red light goes on and it's still the same kind of slight feeling even though even they've done them. it yeah. yeah even though they've done it since 69 you know yeah i mean it's not obvious but i could you know and and if you're clever as a producer you get that recording before anybody's really known that's going yeah. on and as a session player you hope that that person when i'm producing i'm recording you know, I'm I'm almost uptight about. I don't even give a fuck if it's in tune. If yeah. something's happening, let's just record it. You know, because yeah, yeah. it could be it. And I hope, as a player, that when I first get in the studio, I'm not going to say to somebody, "Are you recording?" Because that kind of breaks the illusion vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd want. I'm playing. I can hear the track, and I'm playing, and I'm thinking, "I really hope you're fucking recording this," because actually, <laughs> I'm feeling feeling good. good. Yeah, feeling good. Nobody said, "Are you ready?" Yes. Oh, can oh. I kind of just another? Oh, yeah, I think your G's just a bit out of tune. By then you fucked it, uh, you know. So yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Not always, but it's a very tenuous thing. And the red light syndrome, it's a big deal. And if we can somehow get over that, I mean, it's a bit better with Pro Tools because it's not like you're burning tape, you know, which we no, used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit scary because there's that much tape, and you're fucking up a recording for everyone. That's another thing. Um, playing with other players that you really respect, you don't want to fuck it up because yeah, yeah. you'll fuck up their good performance. Yeah. Especially if you're spilling sound onto their mics and stuff, you know. Would you wear out when you're doing like multiple, if you're on a reel to reel, can you actually damage it if you're doing multiple takes over Well, a... I've heard about like um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Was backwards and forwards all the time. They were tracking on it, tracking on it. Yeah, yeah. that tape must have been the most like. You could rinsed. see through it, apparently. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> God knows, yeah. A, the, yeah, like, you can get the... Those are floating around the 24 tracks I've of got Bohemian them, Rhapsody. Yeah. They're very entertaining. I think like, all of those things are amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit naughty to have them, but... Um, yeah, I suppose... I don't know how they've gotten out, like... Well, because people digitise now. Right. Because tape is... Um, you have to have it baked. Yes. And then transfer it quickly yeah, onto yeah. another format that might not last forever. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, transfer it because it's lasted perfectly well for 35 years. Now you're going to put it in digital. Which yeah, exactly. It but, terrifies me that, that like the future proofing, like what, what is going to happen to all the photos I've taken with this device? Well, and yeah. all the films we bought on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. Where are they? I don't know. They're in a I computer want mine in California a, in, somewhere. Yeah, because I want mine on a hard drive. Yeah. Uh, uh, or at least, like, yeah, that's a scary thing. Um, Universal building burnt down. Did you hear about this? No. It was quite hidden. But a friend of mine sent me a link to a news item. I think I might have... Oh, there, my God. It lost a lot of music. There was a lot yeah, of tons. music in their archives that was Absolutely. lost. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, like things like Aretha Franklin and 
Um, I'm not, I'm, I think it was Universal, but I mean huge, mm. huge records that we all know. The masters have they not all digitized burnt. the collection? I think they have been digitized, right, but the okay. actual. But they've now lost the masters. They've lost the masters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's sad. Yeah, but there is the record exists, so it's yeah, like yeah. you know having a you know a, a painting by Picasso and not having the drawings. Yeah. You know, we've still got the painting. But we've still got like yeah, a billion yeah. like cheap posters of it. We got that, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean at least you've got backups of like dummy and you've got to yeah, we have ten now, million yeah. backups like yeah, we in have. people's homes. We have got various ones in different places and they're digitized and stashed away, yeah. yeah. But I, I find it I mean actually the Bee Gees um um staying alive. Have you mm. ever heard that Marcy track? No. Fucking hell, man. Um, if you're into production... With all the harmonies on separate bits. Well, there's all of, that. Yeah. But what is really interesting is that um, it's a really groovy track. Yeah, and there's th- things like... Yeah. And um, you listen to the drum kit. Same with some Michael Jackson stuff as well, like the Jackson 5 ABC. Oh, I've never you heard listen that. to the multi tracks no, of that. Jesus nice. Christ. It's, it's, I don't think it was done with a click. I mean, in those days, it did have a click. You could have a click. Yeah, but, of course. Um, it's just so groovy, but really sloppy, mm. really sloppy. And same with the Bee Gees. You listen to that Staying Alive track. Um, it feels very tight to me. Like It's very- super tight. But when you listen to all of it, that it's quite baggy. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's one acoustic guitar, and if you don't put it in, it doesn't sound right. Mm. And it's so sloppy. It's absolutely, like, it's just a really... Grungy acoustic. Is it done intentionally sloppy? Or I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's somebody who wrote the tune. I don't know who's playing it. Yeah. Um, but it's super, super like it's not what you would expect. Mm. You would not. You go. Oh, but that's the magic of like layering, isn't it? Like, well, I mean, brilliant. it's like yeah. when you know, and I, it's it, it's a difficult thing. Like, well, I'm I have my like performance year right modular, and one of the the scariest or the biggest lessons I've learned is move your hands slowly. And the reason I say move my hands slowly is because the worst thing I can do is when I accidentally just mute something and you realise it's that one element that was holding the whole track yes. together. Yeah, yeah, And you yeah. pulled it away and the entire core's gone. I like, I'm an idiot. Of course it was that. But it, it's very hard to realise, you know, there's, a, there's an ensemble of six or seven sounds and it's very hard to know which of those one sounds is the one you can't get rid of. Yeah, yeah that's right. There is one often. Like, yeah, that's interesting because that is... Um, that is the glue of certain tracks, isn't it? You know, when you're mixing and um, and creating music, it, it, that's a very good point. Mm. And actually, yeah, that guitar is entirely that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And where it probably sounds wrong or out. This, I think, is why they say you should never EQ things in... Or is it never EQ things in isolation? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that... that and especially if you're a really good mix engineer, it's like the things that you would do to a vocal or to a part you would think were wrong, but in the context of a track, because yeah. A, you need to make space for something, but also there's complementary frequencies from other elements that are blending together. Like it's, it's those, it like, it's this idea. Yeah. You, a, a part should be considered as its role in the, as in the whole. So the solo, oh, the solo is kind of a, a dangerous tool in a way. I done, that's a lesson that I've trying to, Bear in mind because often I'm a solo something and I and then EQ yeah and get it perfectly sounding exactly and then no no that's wrong yeah I mean I think it's interesting because I remember when I was younger uh, doing sessions for people and I got this Fender Twin amp an old Twin uh, and a nice old guitar I can't remember what it was now um, say my three three five or whatever and back in the day I had this when I was young I had this 
notion of what this guitar should sound like. And I was always surprised when I went in a studio, especially a decent studio where people, I was doing a session or whatever, what they did to my guitar. And I didn't like it quite a lot of the time because I thought it didn't sound like my amp and my guitar. Mm. If it had left it like that, it would not have worked in the track. Yeah, yeah. It needed thinning out. It needed that yeah, bass yeah. taken out of it. And, oh, yeah, and you within the context of the track. sound, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's obvious now, but it's not always obvious as a, as yeah. a player or, you know, uh, that, that you need to do exactly what you said and it needs to fit in the track. So now it's a really skinny sounding guitar. I would never play guitar like that. That's not my guitar, you know what I mean? Well, your guitar would sound shit if we left it as yeah. it was, and you have to know that, you know? I think that's, yeah, my my very limited experience of band playing as well. It's like half of the battle is learning when to, like, get out of the way and yeah. just be respectful and let yeah. give other people space to to perform. It's not about you. It's about no, it isn't. the ensemble. It really it's is. Like, don't be a dick. Sometimes it's about you. Yeah, if yeah. you've got a, like, a, you know, if you're in the cure and you've got a killer guitar yeah, line, yeah. it's about you a bit. Yes. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, learning to be respectful, learning the sort of, yeah, the space is like, I mean, I suppose that's probably true of a great many things. It really sure. is, yeah. Composition Having as well. Having kids as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. There is no space. You just need to know oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Learn that you're not allowed any space. <laughs> oh, no. It's very limited. How? I was going to ask you about your synth collection. Like, yeah. Have you got a sort of... With the synths that you've kept, what is it... What drives you to acquire something? Is it... Is it a historical? Because you're definitely a bit of a synth collector, and I don't mm-hmm. mean that as a bad thing. Because I'm, I like I'm, my wife is saying this, like you are aware you are a collector, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, I thought about it. I was like, I got a DX7 because I really wanted to have a, a DX7, and it had to be a Mark One. It had right. to be the one from 1983. Yeah. And it, just because of, I really like that instrument, but you don't really have any digital synths. I've got a TX81Z. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere upstairs. Yeah. Right? But um, you, so what I suppose the question is like what drives with all of your synths what is what is kind of the common thread what is the appeal and why do you keep them Yeah um you've got a lot and you've got a lot more than there is in this room That's right yeah. I, I consider this to be quite a limited amount I mean compared to other people I I know and I feel like I've honed it down to the synths that um that are useful to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. I get it completely. I absolutely love old uh, sense. Uh, to, how to approach this, really? Because over here, these guitars here, that's a 1936 uh, L5. And when you say 1936, you mean because it was made in 1936? It was made in 1936. <laughs> that one was made in 1947. That one was made in 1939. So I get the I get the geekiness of that, but I also absolutely love those instruments because oh because of what they not because well, of what they are but just you love those instruments. For I stuff. love the, I love what they sound like. I love that this was owned by somebody and played to fuck forever. Oh, yeah, you know yeah, um, it's yeah. been played. It's That's, a beautiful sounding instrument. Um, it's looking, um, it's been fantastically good conditions. It, it is, but of course, it's been loved, isn't it? Yeah, because they were like the top of the range guitars. It's got knocks and dings on it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and that one there, you know, that that's been look at somebody's played that till. <laughs> um, but so I feel the same with the sense that yeah, I, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I haven't yeah. got these because I'm a collector. All these guitars I've got here and more upstairs, I use them all. I use them all and exactly what they do. 
and they surprised me yeah. as well. So this guitar over here, I can stick it through a fuzz box. You wouldn't think that from a 1939 Charlie Christian guitar. Um, so the synths for me are exactly the same. The, the modular Moog stuff and, it, and its, relative, its relatives uh, and all of that stuff have a... That's me and the Beatles and <laughs> the early days of synthesis. Yeah. I'm never, ever, ever going to get over the sound of Moogs, as you know. I love yeah, the yeah, of course. You've got me a yeah. modern Moog, which is actually over Will's... Uh, the Model D, yeah. Yeah, which is awesome, that yeah. new one. To have, like, what's oh, good yeah. about the old one, but, but new... Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't go wrong, you yeah, hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, and I'm getting a relationship with that now. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really good. So I've got three mini Moogs, one there, one upstairs, and the, and the one that I generally play live now, which is... And is that one. because you have the mini Moog? I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, for you, it's the immediacy, and it just sounds fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, there must be a degree of, like, it's the history of, and the, you yeah. know, the, the, what that instrument... You know, you see people playing it and what it's done to modern music as well. Yeah, it's Hence, huge. that's why I want the DX7, you know, for that same reason. Yeah, well, like they, they took over, didn't by they? its legacy and its impact on culture. I remember it in 1984 when I was not interested in synths. Um, by then, I didn't, I was no, had no interest and um, played in a working men's club, but in a holiday camp band. And the guy had a DX7. It was one of these new ones in 1984. And it had this piano sound on it that we like the best road sound. Mm. I think it's ghastly now. Yeah, but yeah, actually, yeah. I'm getting there. Yeah. Um, back again. But, um, and he also had an Oberheim 4 voice, which sounded, and we just laughed every time he played it because it sounded like a, ba- a cave full of screaming bats. As soon as he switched it on, it was all out of tune and weird. Yeah. You know. Let the record uh, state for those who can't see, I can see four voices of a sound of it. So, yeah. So, um, all of these instruments. So, uh, all of these instruments. Uh, sorry, the Moog thing we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's history. It's its sound. Sometimes it's too big. Mm. Generally, it's too big because it's got a lot of low end that you can't use. It's like your guitar. You, yeah, you, you have to. Respectfully high pass it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's great. You listen to it and you can take speakers out. I recently, uh, not recently, actually, played on um, Anna Calvi's last record. Yeah, yeah. And there's, it, all I played was Moog, lots of Moog and um, Mellotron and stuff. And um, when we were in the studio doing it, the sound of the Moog was enormous, you mm. know, and we were all laughing and it was cool and, you know, through the big, big Westlake monitors or whatever they had, I can't remember now. Very rarely switched them on, but it was great with the Moog, you know. But it had so much bass, you couldn't possibly leave yeah, that course. in the track. Yeah, that's like the sort of yeah, Keith Wait, Keith Wakeman, um, Keith, um, no, Jesus, <laughs> you, um, Rick it could Wakeman, be Keith Wakeman, Keith Wakeman <laughs> well, no, Rick Emerson, of, like mutant, like, yeah, Rick Emerson. He's like saying, "That's his." <laughs> I love it, Rick Emerson. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> Um, you know the guy with the cape was yeah, saying yeah. he's like you know for the first time you could be louder than the guitarist yeah and I was I, like thank god is that what he said I think that was his like that's why I loved him and obviously I know you're not his like, biggest fan necessarily no I, I had but, his records I think he's cool I think but, he's great actually but but it's like <clears> but yeah I know what you, you know exactly what he means it's just like you can it, it was an amazing power and very easy to wield I suppose because yeah before that you only had the modulars didn't you and it's yeah like, and um, if you take a Arp Odyssey, which was around at the same time, think about Moog is. You've got a 2600. I've got a 2600, which is, a, I love that. It's keyboards just on the stairs. I haven't managed to put that back yet. I took that to a session and because um, it's huge, you can pro- process stuff with it. So everything I've got, 
I have it for a purpose. I know yeah. exactly what it's going to do. I, I obviously don't know the limits of what it'll do because it'll always be endless. But I know that if I take a mini mug, I'm going to be able to get this. So that's why I took the 2600 because yeah. I know I can get this. It'll do that. Yeah, and I can plug my guitar into it, put yeah. it through the ring modulator or it, the preamp on a 2600 is amazing. Is put it? a guitar through it and crank it. It sounds like the shittiest transistor amp you've ever heard. I would really like a 26. Like, oh, just get That idea of like the, it really pushes my, both of them that you've got a, a, a VCS three over there, obviously the um, Ed Williams VCS three. Yeah. Like that idea of both of those have got a kind of science lab aesthetic, which I they think definitely is, have. Yeah. And, and, and I think what appeals to me when I look at the 2600 is just that a bit like a modular, but I see like, I see such a wonderful assortment of, of options. Yeah. I, I feel like you've thought of everything I could want to Yeah, make. that's right. I believe and that. It, yeah. And then that's that's very enticing because it's all there. And yeah. it's and I don't have to worry about that whole thing of like, ooh, should I get a different module? Do I need this for this? It's like, no, trust that trust that, you know, Alan R. Perlman thought of everything for and you can just enjoy that instrument and layer yeah, it can. and layer it and, and squeeze it's that thing of going, you know, here you are, just you, uh, like a simple instrument and a tape machine, and you can and and you, anything's possible. Well, it's that's that. now you've now you've kind of got to the bottom of what my aesthetic is. It is that, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, uh, I think too many possibilities. I don't have the brain for it. Yeah. I don't understand Buchler synths, and I love music that's made. Some music yeah, yeah. that's made on it. I um, recently met Annie. Um, Laurie Spiegel. Oh, Laurie Spiegel. Yeah. Right, yeah and yeah. had a chat with her in her right. place in New York. It was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I um, I know that she, you know, some of the music she made is absolutely fucking amazing. Mm. Um, look, some of that's Buchler stuff, isn't it? It's, and, and it's just another world of, totally. it's a diff, learning a different language. It really know? is. Yeah. And she's a computer um, yeah. designer, you know. Um, her brain works in a different way to me. Um, but I sat and played some country tunes with her on a brilliant old Gibson guitar. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Um but I think, yeah, that is my aesthetic, really. And yes, you, up 2600, it doesn't have sync, which the Odyssey does, mm. does, and I miss that. It doesn't have a high-pass filter, but people tell me you can use the oh, you voltage probably... pressure, which, which makes a high-pass. You can there are, use... I think there are ways, like the um, on the Moog Mother 32, which is then like modern little semi... I've seen it, yeah. The Mother 32's got high-pass, and I, I don't know this, but folks can... If this is true, that... The high pass is derived by like doing a phase shift. Yeah, I was going to say like, you do like some kind of phase copy of a low pass, and you can you're, it almost cancels out the low end. Yeah, but weirdly, if you add resonance, then it, it the high it pass back. doesn't work. Yeah, right. It's like a, yeah. that's what you would do on there. Yeah. So by by There's using way phase, yeah. you can do it. Yeah, which is well, you've got, a, <laughs> you've got that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is completely brilliant to know that. Isn't yeah, yeah, it? yeah. You know? It's the idea that like. It, it's that thing of just not being lazy and saying, well, if I want to achieve something, can I, can I work harder and can I achieve it in a, yeah. It's that thing of just not going, can I just buy something that solves this problem? No, exactly. Can I, can I, also you'll find your own voice yes. if you do that. It's like Daniel Miller programming lots of Depeche bass drums on a 2600, yeah. taking hours to do yeah, it with yeah, a yeah, sequencer. Yeah. That's um. I've got a, a new sort of rig where I got this posh Circlon sequencer, and I, I know I love got, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love I've, the idea of them. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> the reality is a bit of a. It's a little bit of that Buchler thing of like learning a new yeah. a new language. But the you know, and I've I've had to rebuy my old sampler. I got my Yamaha modern modern sampler Yamaha A four thousand, and 
And I've got like a little modular that I'm putting together for, for that rig. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to think about just having, I, I want to impose a rule, which is no, there can be no pre-made drum machine sounds. You have to I make have them. to program every drum sound that I make on this rig. Right. And, and record them into the sampler to sort of force me to do that kind of one person and a reel-to-reel aesthetic, you know, yeah. like where nothing is, nothing is a preset, nothing is pre-packaged, because it's it's so easy, you know, especially working the computer. And I, and I think it's wonderful how quick it is to assemble things and grab sounds and, and to have the world sounds at your fingertips. But I recognise how quickly I like I rely on the eight hundred eight and the nine hundred nine mm-hmm. and tried and tested tropes mm-hmm. and and sounds. And it's it it's just it's it's tying your hands behind your back in a way that will you'll enjoy if that makes sense yeah no it totally does because it's it's what i do i think it's um, (laughs) It's like it's the natural thing of just no limitations is paralyzing yeah i think it is for me yeah and i also don't understand a lot of modern synthesis you know um i just got i got some mutable instruments clouds and warps yeah clouds and warps yeah Yeah, and they're absolutely brilliant yeah um but that's and they what's cool is that that she makes Digital modules that work in a very analog way. It does feel like yeah, it. Yeah, like warps is all digital, but yeah. they're all just knob turning. And if if you get um, her other module, Rings, which is very popular, yeah, which yeah. is like physical modeling, um, it's there's no screen, there's just six dials or whatever that you just turn. You play with. And, and do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, but it is a digital module and it's the most, and it's making these almost like piano or things that are like hybrids of pianos and guitars and bells and like, I've heard about it. They literally, there's no, there are no delineations. It's a smooth curve from a guitar to a piano. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. All these wonderful things. And warps does that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I, what I love is that her aesthetic to be, to make digital things that are analog. Yeah. That feel analog. Well, for me, that's, they're the kind of most, I've got some make noise stuff, low pass gates and things, yeah. which I really like. Um, but generally, it's about. Um, I just did a, um, a BBC program with artist Gillian Waring, who's amazing, and um, she wanted she was, wanted electronic music because she'd heard some stuff I'd done, and I'm really into Tomita. Mm. I absolutely love Tomita, and actually, Tomita was originally asked to do. Um, squeaky chair um, uh, to do Apocalypse Now which we're talking yeah, about yeah. and I can hear that within it that they're some of them they've kind of gone towards his kind of programming to me I'm really fascinated by the idea and, and I gave her a load of bell sounds that I made with um, with a mini moog yeah, and, yeah. and a ring modulator yeah. um, and um, felt you know so I worked really hard on making it sound like a church bell yeah. but not quite a church bell yeah. because it's electronic yeah. um, and uh, these things fascinate me. So if I'm making a track, it's just going back to Abbey Road. There's little things on there, and I bet there's stuff I don't know about that's added in with the acoustics. Like, I'll take my Mini Moog to a session, or the ARP 2600, or the Oberheim. That's really good, because it's got very good filters. The, what is it, two-voice. Yeah. Um, going back to your original question, why have I got these synths? Mm. Um, because I... Um, I'm fascinated by the idea that if when you're making a track, even if it's got guitars and bass, that we might make the drum, the bass drum, enhance the bass drum with a mini moog, yeah, um, and just put a little throb underneath the bass drum that you can hardly hear, mm. or you can hear it a lot, whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
a um, bit of white noise on the snare, maybe just a white noise through the track because I want it to hiss a bit more. Yeah, yeah. You know, T, um, what's it called? RX has taken yeah, out too much. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's taking too much noise out, and I want yeah, yeah. some back, please. Well, it's only taking out the noise you don't want. To yeah, give exactly. you space to put the noise you do want back. Exactly, because I do like to hear a bit of hiss within mm. the track. You know, that's um, like that concept. Who is it who did this? Where he's like, uh, when he made the recording, he hung like a microphone out the window. So you also got like the the street noise of New right. York, yeah, very yeah. low in the mix, you know, just a tiny little bit of it, just to. It's, to it's add a way to of gluing stuff stuff yeah, together, yeah. and we it's it, what we're all searching yeah. for, you know. Well, it's like similar to that thing of putting the tiniest, shortest room reverb on yeah. synth sound, so that it's it's impossible to hear. But if you muted it, you'd hear that yeah, it yeah. went away. Actually, Craig um, Sylvie, who I was talking about earlier on when he was mixing um, our last record mm. with Jeff, he used, what is that thing called? Space Station, a Ursa Major. Oh, yes. And yes. you've got some digital, very short... Like really posh digital. Yeah. Posh digital. 8-bit or something, yeah, yeah. yeah. 12-bit, I don't know. I got one immediately after because he put this tiny room sound on something and it made all the difference to yeah. the sound, although you could hardly hear it. Yeah, yeah. And I use that a lot, actually, and Tim and I use the reverb a lot on there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that recognition that synths, yeah, dry, the dry sound of synths. Although, actually, just as a, on, on the dry sound of synths, I watched your, um, you did an interview with Gaz Williams at, like, Sonic State. Oh, I yeah, think. God, yeah, that yeah. was weird, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there was, there was a bit, I was watching it, and you talked about Herbie Hancock's Manchild. yes. And I was like, Adrian Utley says, like, Manchild, I'm going to go listen to it. I fucking love that record. Oh, That's man, really beautiful. Oh, thank you for turning me on to that. Because <laughs> no, no, really I'm sort of, record. I'm not, you know, I'm not a music, I, so I'm not a music person. I just don't, I tend to make more music than I listen to. Right, right. The reality. But, um, but that, like, I only really knew, like, Chameleon or Headhunters. Headhunters, and, yeah. You know, and, and it's the dry Odyssey sound yeah. that he gets, which is the same as on, is it Watermelon Man? Like, yeah, it could be. You know, yeah. bow, 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 bam, bam, bam. Chameleon. That on Chameleon yeah. is on Headhunter, is on Manchild as well. And it's, yeah. how, it's such a fucking good sound where it's, well, he's it's got, like you know, warm drivey but it, it's the driest synth sound and i wonder if it's through an amp as well it must, a lot I of times they were be. through amps in those and days. so maybe there is a tiny little echo that i'm not i could be could be a bit of room in there yeah but there's something i just love that approach to using dryness as well like apex twin also in a lot of his recent stuff you can he's doing some really wonderful things where it's where he's almost where when normally we would have reverb washes yeah. and drenches to pad yeah. out, he's intentionally leaving it very dry with extremely complex programming so that yeah. everything is revealed to you and is, yeah. and is right in your face. And you can't I love miss, it. Yeah. I love it. And I love I love huge reverb, like space. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a bit like crack. You can't yeah, turn the even tied space. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like Or the 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 um the blue one, what's it called? Cla um Sky, blue sky. Yeah, I don't have one of those. Yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> really good. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I think, and so yeah. So for me, all these synths mean something. Like the Korg that's up there, the little mini mini Korg. It's Is it a mini micro seven hundred or whatever. Yeah, seven hundred. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Is that your first. What if it, was it your first synth? No, was, was my first synth was an SH one oh. No, it was a Gen SX thousand. SX one thousand. Yeah, 1, the Italian synth. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. really cool. Yeah, don't have that anymore. But, uh, um, 
that no i got that quite late on actually but it's kind of band passy the filter it's yeah. almost vocal <gasps> yes there is That's a, a eurorack version of that filter which i've is got there? it's called a vcf 74 right and it's and it's that filter in it's a, a brilliant filter. and it's a really good filter. it's really weird it's, it goes <laughs> kind of band, ba- yeah. band passy yeah 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 it is weird and and that synth is awesome yeah i use it a lot you know i've had it modded so i can clock it to a track. Oh, no. Because I like pulsing. Does it have a little, oh, isn't it just plays a note or it doesn't It doesn't have a sequencer? Presumably. No, it yeah. just goes do, 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 do. It's yeah. called repeat, you know. <laughs> cool. So I had that modded. It's what called Fuckbrain. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually called Son of Fuckbrain because um, <laughs> Alison Goldfrapp wrote Fuckbrain on one of the Will synths. Amazing. Which is called Fuckbrain. And then this guy we know is a really cool guy who repairs stuff. Um, absolutely amazing. Um, person fixes everything we've yeah. got uh cleaned it off i've got son of fuck right now uh, okay um, yeah that's but, around just like i need a, her and a sharpie yeah <laughs> well that's right it's absolutely um a brilliant synth. so that's there i know what that does and it always surprises me ms20 i use that a lot put things through it yeah um it's got that, you know, classically vicious uh, oh, couple of filters. Wonderfully noisy and, like, wrong. Very digital sounding as well, actually. You think so? In well, way, I think but... the oscillators, if you just have them on square wave, they don't really sound digital, but they there's a kind of brutality to the yeah, sound. Yeah. It's very, very... So bright. Digit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not like a mini Moog, which yeah, is baggy. Yeah. Got the mini Moogs, the modular Moog stuff, and its various sequences. I, they're... That was where I go to first with my Moog, uh, Mini Moog, and it—I it, know—I know what I can get out of that, and then it will always surprise me with more things. Mm. And and you start getting into um, phase and you know reversing phase on stuff. It's brilliant. You don't you don't use a oh you have got have you got a tuner of some kind? Yeah, you've got a tuner up there. I've got a tuner up there just to help. Do yeah, you, but do you tend to tune? Th- well, I suppose you have to if you play with guitar. And, no, I don't. I tune don't? by ear. Yeah, like, same with the guitar. I do use a tuner on a guitar actually, just to get us there. But I think if I'm uh, if I'm recording in a studio, what is really good, we all use tuners, but it's really good to, especially if I'm recording somebody or producing, is to we'll just play together and get tuned together because right. it makes a kind of composite tuning mm. rather than just everybody isolatingly yeah, yeah, tuning yeah. to a tuner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I distune that by ear, really. Um, and then you know, so and that I I like using clocking from the computer, not MIDI, so that things are clocked. The sequences run to the computer's clock. Mm. That's important. So everything I've got, I've got this modern Mellotron. I nearly bought um, an old one, but yeah. you only get three sounds. Um, I, I think that's one of those things where it's just like, if you just want to have all of the tape banks, you should just get a sample thing. Well, or that's what it is. Or that Arturia plug-in. <laughs> yeah, like, that's just, good, yeah. Just, like, well, just, that's what I like about the Arturia is yeah. that you can put your own stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. What does it actually do? Like, does it, is it, it just sounds like it's through tape. Do you know what I mean? Or, yeah, it does. It's it's cronky. Yeah. So it's it's a gimmicky thing, <laughs> yeah. you know. But it, you can put amounts of wobble on it, amounts yeah. of tape destruction. And so for an effect, it's really good. Uh, that's why I wanted it. I mean, people used to put Mellotrons through phaser or v- use a volume control on it to have the envelope. Yeah. Um, and I like that. Same with Mini Moog, that we were talking about Herbie Hancock. 
they would have put them through like a phaser or yeah. a distortion yeah. into an I amp. I think that's what David Vorhaus was talking about. He's like, you have to, I think he said, he's like, yeah, you have to use phasers and things just to bring it to life. Yeah. Like yeah. just to bring it to life. Cause it's very t- old school way of thinking, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's like guitar pedals. Uh, you play guitar, put it for a pedal. Same with the synth. Yeah. We tend to go, oh, let's just DI the synth. Well, that's, yeah, there's a kind of laziness or or perhaps an overconfidence in the tone of, you know, whereas these people, you forget back in the day, were working hard to make every sound unique or push push their, what they probably thought were very, like, simple instruments. Of course, now we're embracing the simplicity because we've tasted computers, which just have far too many bloody options. Yes, and also... There's just an idea. It's a synth, that, so it goes. It doesn't need an amp. You just put it in here. Yeah. We well, wouldn't consider. I do actually plug my guitar straight into that UA. You've got like the six one seven six. Fucking man! I oh, is that the I two A? Yeah. It's the. I don't know. Oh no, that's no, the six one seven six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I would. I would like to get uh, two more of those. Not like, the compressor, just two more. Six ten preamps. Yeah. Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah. I know they're modern and everything. I yeah. absolutely love it. Well, it's a version of a 60s it or totally 70s pre, isn't it? So, sounds like, amazing. That I've only, my only, uh, I don't own one of those, but I've got the UAD things and the, the UA610A plugin is very good for like, if I like put that on a mic, you sound like James, you know, um, what's his name from LCD Sound System. It's got right. a very kind of driven, Yeah, you've, uh, everything sort of, uh, probably a bit like that Herbie Hancock fuzz sort of. Well, sort I of, think, yeah, I mean, I, l- I love it, you know. Yeah. It's, I've got those Neves above it and um, and the Calrex. The top one is a couple yeah. of Neves and then there's Calrex and there's Aldix and sure. I've got a Telefunken, you know, V76 yeah, and... Yeah, yeah. But I always use that UA. Yeah, that's I good. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And you can plug straight in the front and it, yeah. you know, with a synth or and I, I sometimes you, and you would like chuck synths through. Oh all the time. Like, yeah, yeah. Um and uh and guitar straight into it, straight into yeah. the desk. Got two of those bell delays now. I remember yeah. you had one of those. I've got three it. actually. <laughs> There's one up there, isn't there? <laughs> You've got a left, one. right and centre as well. <coughs> I've got left, right and a stereo up there. Yeah, grey one. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. They're absolutely awesome. So, yeah, you can set up, you know, multi-tap if you like. Yeah. 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 I absolutely yeah, love that. Crackers. They are. These are things that I've got and I absolutely love. There's other things that I... Like that Astronics um, graphic is super rare. There's hardly any of them in mm. the world. I hardly ever use it. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I'm thinking of getting rid of it because I just don't use it. Yeah. And Whereas the bell delays and the... You know, the um, Ursa like, is, um, and the UA, like, I use them all the yeah, time. Yeah, those are like more more subtle. I, I thought about getting a graphic EQ for my little setup and I was like, I worry that I like, there's apparently some good like old Clark Technic ones I meant to be yeah, yeah, like, yeah, but good. I just feel like I would probably cock it up more than I would make an improvement. <laughs> yeah. I'd almost rather, there's too much control with the graphic. Like, just, just give me, actually, the EQ, I've got this old desk made by a company called Sec. It was like a really cheapskate. Yeah, yeah. It's like a cheap, it was like sort of Mackie before Mackie existed. Yeah. And it's got really good EQ, actually. And, and the EQ's like so simple, but it can almost, I was just trying it the other day and I felt a bit like, uh, in my mind's eye, I felt like I was the Beatles in like the old days. I was like pushing the EQ up fully and sweeping the mids and i was like oh shit like it's almost like resonant and it's yeah, almost yeah. like Ew. like i was here i was like oh mate that's quite cool <laughs> was, well that's king I was like, isn't it yeah i should probably chain a few channels together and do if that, i yeah. had enough hands i could do some well that that was all like those dub producers used yeah, to yeah. sweep the mids didn't yeah, they yeah. you know 
um to king tubby definitely and uh exactly yeah yeah all those guys um well yeah so i mean actually you know it looks like a lot of kit but it's it's all useful yeah. and I, i've got yeah. nothing but of course you become that's what i started off talking about guitars you become a collector because these instruments are hard to find now and you don't want to, yeah that's it you know they, it's like i could get an, like with the dx7 i'm like they're starting to creep up. They're oh like God, two, yeah. 300 pounds. We just used four, 500. on a track, a friend of mine, Ali Chant, and I were producing this um, singer. We're going to do her record soon. And um, she's from a much different generation than us. She's in her 20s. And um, he just bought a DX7, so he plugged it in. And I was going, fuck me, that sounds terrible. Oh, my God, listen to that one. That's, yeah, what's that? <laughs> Whoa, what, is that supposed to be strings? Fuck off. And then we got to trombone, and I was openly laughing, and she went, that's an awesome sound. I'm going, seriously? Uh, she said, yeah, that's killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what, that trombone? <laughs> FM trombone? <laughs> Fucking <laughs> hell. Well, so we stuffed it through a space echo and a few things, and, man, it's a killer. Mate, like, Sounds like something from... Eno might use because yeah, he uses yeah. DX7, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah on yeah. Um, some of the David Bowie thing, Berlin yeah. stuff. It's like uh, you know, and also for for me that why well, that synth shits on any analog instrument in the world is for pads that make you just sort of like yeah. feel like you're about to like burst into tears and yeah. dissipate, like you know, strange evocative pads that are long and somber and thoughtful and full of fuzz it's really and, good programming yeah, isn't it? yeah like yeah it's and it's and a lot of people i think you know people you know denigrate the dx7 to say oh you know it's annoying to program mm. i'm like with the best will in the world like i look at it like this i'm like if you're if you take joy in farting around with synths and achieving the unexpected and going i wonder what happens if i plug this into this well, there is no greater sense of the unexpected than fighting around with FM synths. Oh my god, yeah, I can't get my head some around crazy, it. and some of the bass sounds as well. Like you can make these really like growl, kind of growly bass, and and you can layer them with analog instruments, and you yeah. can filter them and things, and it's they make they make amazing sounds. Well, if you listen to stuff from, um, you know, I don't know whether I doubt DX7 probably was on. Uh, thriller you know um all of the quincy jones stuff yeah, at yeah, that yeah. time there's a lot of synclavia it would have been some that whole like meow meow I'm yeah, like, yeah. beat it is, is it on beat oh yeah it's on the beginning yeah, of yeah. Beat it. that's a synclavia that's straight from a demo because yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. the um the, the stuff you sent me from arteria yeah yeah, yeah it's um, got that sound well meow. it's kind of it it isn't quite it oh is it that? no but well, maybe they vq'd it and put it through an amp or something well what apparently they just took it straight off the demo record i heard there is a yes, because there are YouTube videos where you can actually hear the demo. It's that funny yeah. little sound at the beginning. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, listening that listening to things like Beat It or... Um, I know because my son was listening to Michael Jackson a lot. Mm. We don't listen to him now. I know. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. It's like, do you throw... It's like, list like Bill Cosby. It's like, do you... That's it. like it's, it's really hard. That's a big it's one. It's difficult, isn't it? But and especially when someone had a, an impact on music and and inspired a lot of people. It's very. It's that thing of can you separate the person from their art? You know, and it's, it's hard. It I is think hard, it's hard, isn't it? Like, but at the time we were listening to it a lot. Um, um, I was listening to Billie Jean mm. and the Moog bass on it. And I was, I was trying, and because I was listening to it a lot, and the engine wasn't on in the car a couple of times, you could hear the production and the sound of digital stuff going on. And 
but also the mini moog uh that incredible bass line mm. but i think there's two of them i think there's something punctuating in there as yeah. well and it just it's just brilliant but we were talking about digital stuff and synclavier and um uh, Fairlight. Yeah. Those those sounds are absolutely bloody amazing. Mm. They really are. It's like they're returning to the Akai sampler. Like there, there yeah, is a sound. Yeah, I love some of those sounds. It does sound great. Akai. Like and it's you can just like people who love the MPC sixty and the SP twelve. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, like people are. It's a mate of mine who is like the MPC sixty mate. He's like. All I can say is it bangs. Yeah, it totally <laughs> it does. Bangs. Well, everybody was really in, you know the MPC sixty was. Um, I think DJ Premier used to use, and a lot, a lot of hip hop producers used to use, mm. and they're super tight program, yeah, yeah. programming, you know. Um, yeah, no, so and yeah, well, everything I've got is gets used. There's mm. nothing here apart from stuff that's leaning against the wall upstairs. And then this graphic, which which and you're like, you would get rid of it. You're not, you're I, not going to slavishly keep. Oh no, I'm not. Rare. I never keep stuff that I don't use. Yeah, I have slightly regretted that with a couple of things, but. Um, I kind of know. It's like that Bentley drum machine up there. Like the rhythm. Yeah. Ace. Rhythm Ace. Yeah. yeah I, I've like used that tons. Yeah. And um, it's even when I'm with a band, uh, rather if we're going to have a click, I'd rather it was that. Yeah, yeah. And I've had it now modified massively um, uh, by Danny again uh, to so I can MIDI it and clock it. Yeah, yeah. And it will clock to a track if there's something on there because it's been a pain because you've had to just record it and then play mm. to that. Um, so everything I have has got a reason, really, and um, I know to some extent what it's going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> VCS3, important. You know, yeah. Switch it on and see what it's saying today is my trick. <laughs> you know, um, and go, okay, just record that. that yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Today, that's what it wants to contribute to this. Yeah, because well, I did this record with the guy called Perfume Genius about four or five years ago, four years ago, something, five years. And there's a lot of electronics on there. Yeah. And um, uh, Mellotron was very, very featured on that. And um, But, yeah, the VCS3, a couple of times, switch it on. Mm. I'd been fucking about with it and left it, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, like a week ago. And I can't remember what it was doing. Yeah. So switch it on. Oh, it's doing that. <laughs> and, oh, that's quite cool. Let's just record that and tweak this, you know. Um, so final question is... And I mean, I know this may be a bit of a, there's no good answer for, for yourself because it feels like you've got like, you've embraced like an old way of working because of the aesthetics. But the question is, what what do you think is the future of music technology? Or at least what would you, what would you like to have that doesn't exist? Something um, that would make your life easier? Other than an infinite time. I'm pretty happy with what I've got, actually. I, I'm I, I'm never going to reach the end of the synths I've got. Mm. I'll never learn all of the harmonic concept that I want to know, or have the technique on a guitar that I'll it'll never end. So, <laughs> and the guitar is a solid thing for me, you know. Um, and since I've got everything I want, I've Absolutely got everything. Pretty much. <laughs> I work, I've made no, probably not. I'll be ringing you up saying, "Can I yeah, get yeah. one of those things?" Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm quite interested in interface more. Yeah, how to make express things express. I haven't quite, you know, the the touche. 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 Um, we were yeah. talking about earlier. Yeah, um, is going to some extent towards that. I think the main thing to do in life, <laughs> musically, is to know um, 
what it is you want to do with your music mm. in the end. And, and you know, to go back to Billie Eilish again, I don't know why I'm talking yeah, about no, it. It's just because the kids have been playing it so much. And I've been sitting there thinking, oh, this is cool. But but more than that, what, why? Is... And it almost sounds like garage band, some of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like there's an objective here and there's an aesthetic. They've, and, um, they've absolutely nailed it. Like, they totally yeah, have. No... It sounds incredible, yeah. you know. And, um, like, as albums that come along over the years, you hear and you go, fuck, man, that was that is so good, like Fleetwood Mac's Rumours. I didn't really like it too much at the time because it wasn't my vibe, but you listen to it, or Thriller, yeah, uh, yeah. and you just go, fuck, man, that 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 mm. is, you know, that personifies an idea. That yeah. is, and they've used the tools they need to do that, and yeah. no more, no less, you yeah, know. Yeah. And um, I feel the same about music, you know. Um, I have got a lot of equipment, so it's not... It's not like I'm just doing it with a tape machine and one synth. Yeah. But I would be very happy to do that. I would Bottom be line happy. is you have a very clear objective about what you, or at least. I have. Yeah, you do know what it want, you want it to sound like. And you've chosen an instrument for a specific purpose, or it's, it's still here. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, I, what I have just recently got, because um, I've been collecting old drums, like this. Drum drums. That, yeah, real drums, mostly from the 20s, 30s. Um, and traps that they used to use for sound, like wood blocks and mm. various different things, um, which I really like. And um, I, in, and and I got onto uh, Roland, and they gave me one of their SB, SDP, SPD pads. Like a, yeah, sample a pad. Yeah, yeah, so I sampled a lot of my sounds. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And now I can take them to a session and have them. Yeah. Yeah, um, like these giant bass drums and, you know, um, and you can, and, you know, and I've got electronic sounds on there. I don't use any of the stock sounds. Yeah, yeah. They're all my sounds in there. So that's a modern piece of kit. I wish it would tune on the fly. Like a, it doesn't, you have to yeah, yeah, yeah. do it on a computer, but um, a, yeah. it's a drag, but um, uh, that's an addition came mm. in the last few months. Mm. Um, I really like it. I like the arterial keyboards. I think they're just, I've got a few, couple of them. The key step. Key step. Yeah, yeah. I think it's absolutely, completely brilliant. Yeah. You know, it just works. The you did the sequencer great. thing as well. I haven't got into the sequencer. Oh, my God. It's the, it's the is best, it cool? It's, it's the like an SH101. Is it? Yeah, it's really funny it that you say that. I talk to people, like, because, like, yeah, it's interesting seeing how well that keyboard does really well. And I, I think I think it's just because people just really like it's just the right size. It's piss simple. But on it, the sequencer on it is it's like a Steve Reich machine. Is it? It's a Steve Reich. It's a polyphonic sequencer it's a polyphonic step sequence okay i'll get into that yeah, it's really good. i've got two of them so and like, also the, at it. there's a new uh, this is really boring there's a new firmware for it which actually has an idea in that i suggested they've implemented where if you can basically create uh it's really boring you hold record and this like keys one to 16 you can if you want like a 12 step sequence yeah you can hold record and you go eight uh eight two two and it will create a twelve-step sequence, and then you can just you can just dab a note, and you'll listen, and you'll hear it's it's playing the sequencer, and you can clock it to any of your stuff, and then you can just hold chords, uh, notes of up to eight chords, or like step fucking hell chords of up to eight notes, and so you can just do these like you know like Steve Rice is like music for eighteen musicians, Fuck you yeah. very quickly get like music for 18 musicians things going on with like and if you have two of them are oh, you in like polyrhythmic polyrhythmic because of course you can, have 12, you can have anything up to 64 step sequences but they're polyphonic and what's amazing about the sequencer is that it's it's imagine like it's like a tape machine with like a playhead mm -hmm. but it's always in it's always got record enabled if you push a key down uh -huh. so 
if, as you're listening, you're just like listening to it. You're like, oh, that's a really cool thing. But I could just dab that chord in just there, then just dab it in, and it will overdub or overwrite what was there. Pretty. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. you can what you can you can very quickly get something going that's polyphasic, and then you can also overwrite and and sort of evolve the sequence within the sequence within this as all in real time like i should get on with honestly that. that's that and I, I thought that's the reason people are buying this thing i don't think it is <laughs> no, no it's because it's um the arpeggio for me it's the arpeggiator really works yeah it clocks in all different ways yeah. and it does it yeah there's no fucking about yeah it actually works yeah. and um it's portable yeah and i've i've got a moog really rare moog Geophonic keyboard that goes nine this module. Five, well, the line 951. Whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, I'm yeah. selling it, man. I right. just use the key step. Right. It's perfectly brilliant. Yeah. And I've also can, it can clock with these sequences or yeah, clock yeah. sequences. To them, yeah. Or yeah. Them, yeah. So I, because I use those sequences in different, one of those is a moon. And some of them you can set it on three. Yeah. The other one on eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, yeah, and you yeah. get these polyrhythmic things. Yeah. I generally do that on tracks. Did a lot with Perfect Genius and a woman called Francoise Brut. Um, I overlaid sequences with mm. different time signatures at the end. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that they never, they never, they phase, they, yeah. Yeah. And they also never repeat their sequence. And also, you, yeah, yeah, using a sequence that's eight step long, but using like a modulation sequence that's three. I do that as well, yeah. 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 So it's like, it's yeah, for the filter or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. So the key step is integrated with that mm. for me. I'll look into that sequence. I like the, also, there's a, the arpeggiator, I just used it with their, Package that you we were talking that, about that uh, V collection, yeah, V collection with the Mellotron yeah. and like the. I really like, like the Casio. Yeah, the FZ. Yeah, uh, not the FZ, the uh, CZ. CZ, yeah. yeah. And they the used a, the there's a there's a a setting of arpeggios that's uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's uh, um, it, it it adds the note as you it prioritizes what you've just done. Yeah. So if you were to play a triad, it will play it as a sequence mm. uh, as a arpeggiator but if you take one finger off and put it on again it rearranges the order mm. it's called order or something uh, as played so yes. you can you can put in a thing and it will go it'll play it, it as will respect you did the it. sequence or the yes yeah, so it's like a sequencer but, yeah, yeah it kind of is and yeah. if you mess with your playing as it's happening yeah you get all this complex stuff there isn't the new firmware update i think adds an order to the arpeggiator on the key step as well oh, i should so do it, that it then, will like it will respect the order in which it's £99. Oh, man, it's brilliant. Yeah, I've turned so many people onto yeah. it. Uh, loads of friends, like, you know, and it powers up from USB. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. I think it's a, a, an excellent bit of kit. For me, yeah. it works, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's really simple, and I haven't even got into the sequence. Yeah. Well, you and need I a think... polysynth is the thing. Like, you really... That's the only thing. Because oh, yeah, it's polyphonic. All of your things are mono here. They are. I've got well, a PS... PS. Yeah, that's not MIDI. You yeah, can't yeah, get yeah, into yeah. it. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a Jupiter Four that's leaning against the stairs that I use a lot. If that's, and that's that would that MIDI or you retrofitted it? Yeah, I, yeah. I bought it. It was already MIDI. Right. MIDI, yeah. Perfect. And that's my only MIDI polysynth. I think. Oh, you should definitely hook it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, that, that, that is a fantastic sound. Yeah. Synth, yeah. Or get like yeah, hook it up to the computer and get some like piano sounds like for Raichi or like marimbas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the the thing that I did. For the program was very Reich like, yeah. Reich like, yeah. uh, using that key step yeah. with the CZ. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was very cool. And um, I mean, as soon as you sent me it, I did this piece of music, and then yeah. I sent it to them, and they liked it, and that's it. It's extremely simple. Yeah. It's nothing, nothing complicated about it. But. Wasn't that the sort of thing of uh, that? Like, uh, what's the joke where the person like has a problem with their plumbing? 
and like the plumber comes in and they're like, um, you know, the plumber sort of looks around and he sort of listens and he taps a little thing here and he taps a pipe there and he taps a pipe there and he goes back and he just hits the other one and it just all starts working <laughs> and he bills him and it's 5,000, 5,000 pounds. Person's, and he's like, what the fuck is this? 5,000 pounds? And he's like, yeah, and he's, he looks at the itemised bill and it's like the call-out charge, 50 pounds, you know. Um, the tap, 50 pounds. And then it's knowing where to tap. Four thousand nine hundred pounds. It's true. It's totally true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. good fun. Yeah. yeah, we could talk for many hours. No, of course. Well, I think that's it. Maybe there's got to be a sequel someday. <laughs> Yes. Well, I'm definitely up for that sequel, Adrian. If you are always enjoy our synth chats, um, how could you not? I mean, what a brilliant man and full of stories and knowledge, experience and a mighty fine collection of instruments. But not so many, as he says, Adrian has what he uses and gets rid of what he does not. And I think that is the thing that we all need to bear in mind. If I don't use it, I get rid of it. So can you do that? Is there stuff that you've got that you can get rid of? It's returning to that thought of square pusher and what do you really need? And square pusher has just basically gone through all of this stuff and has just sacked it all off. And I mean, actually, possibly better to mention Aphex, who in interviews, because obviously if you've read about Aphex, um, a pal of Adrian Utley's, but I mean, if you've read about Aphex, you know, like Adrian, he's got kind of one of everything. He's got a bit of everything. He's got, he's got and I mean, Aphex, I think, has several of everything. He really does have a lot of kit if, you know, all of the various kit lists and stuff are to be believed. And so you might ask, how can you wrangle all that gear and stay productive? And I mean, the answer is on that Syro gear wheel, which is that he doesn't use it all at the same time. And I don't even think, I mean, this is a bit of a luxury if you have it, but I don't think he has it all in the same room, of course. It's in multiple rooms, in multiple places in his house. Um, which is a way of saying, you know, what he does is what Square Pusher is doing as well, which is to say that you have your laptop as the kind of reel-to-reel, as we were talking about with Adrian, and you just have a choice selection of things, maybe two or three bits of gear that you use with that laptop or with that reel-to-reel, and those are the things that you focus on and make music with on that day, and you just move around your little gear setups. And whilst, of course, we don't all have the luxury of different rooms, I certainly don't, I've got one room, But what I do have is, you know, it's still perfectly possible to arrange gear within that room so that things are chosen to work with each other in a specific way. And actually, there's another approach which I've seen done to excellent effect, uh, and that was by my pal Alex Maolo's setup. This is Alex from uh, the band Triple X Snacks near Asheville in North Carolina. And what Alex did in his little, like, garage studio 
is he had um, shelving. So he had shelving with his synth on it, not plugged in at all, like just literally shelving that held, you know, like a Juno 60 and um, small organs and a mini Moog and stuff. And then he just had a keyboard stand, like a heavy-duty keyboard stand in the middle of his room next to the computer so that he can pick up a synth from the shelf, walk it over to the stand, plonk it down, plug it in, the cables are all there, and just use that. And then myself and other pal Spencer, we just sat and we made some music in his studio just with that little system, just like pick up the Juno 60, plonk it down, um, pick up the Korg Monopoly, plonk it down, um, you know, and so on, and pick up the Mini Moog, plonk it down. And that works really well as well, um, that you're just picking up the thing that you want to record at that time, put it down, and then when you're done, put it back. It's not that hard to do. And it's, it's getting around this whole thing of just surrounding yourself by a billion different things, which is kind of like the same thing as just looking into a DAW and just seeing a million plugins and going, oh, I've literally no idea where to start. So I think that's a good approach is to treat if you do have a gear collection, get some shelves, treat it like a library. Because I think that's probably the only way that you could make having a whole collection of things, you know, 10 different sound making synths or more at any one time. I just don't know any other way to make it manageable um, because I'm just not clever enough to be able to have 50 things around me and, you know, be able to meaningfully wrangle them at any one time. I think... Like Aphex and like Adrian, you kind of need to just have the few things, you know what they're good for, and you choose them carefully and you go to that thing today to make music with. Well, it seems to make sense. And it's just what I'm thinking about as we leave into this new year. Good God, a whole new year and a new decade. The 20s. What will it bring? Hopefully not death and destruction. I mean, there will be some death and destruction as there already is, but... I hope for yourself that it will be a productive decade. What would you like to do? Make some objectives, write them down, think about them, and start working towards them. Life moves pretty fast. Tempest Fugit. So, thank you to Adrian Utley. Thank you for giving me your time so kindly and hanging out. Thank you to our sponsors, the beautiful Signal Sounds, the beautiful Nathan Moody of Obsidian Sound, Signal Sounds, Obsidian Sound, keep them in mind. And thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends. Podcasts die in obscurity. So I definitely rely on you to tell people about this. Tell people if you enjoyed listening to this episode. Um, you can sponsor me on Patreon if you like to do such things. The meagre income that this generates is what means my wife does not absolutely kill me for doing it. So please kindly um, help contribute to that fund. But even if not, thank you. Muchas gracias. We'll see you at NAM. Bye.